You don't want to mess with arctic terns during nesting season. They lay their eggs right on the rocky beaches. And if you get too close, they will dive bomb your head and try to draw blood. Tour guides who lead birding trips give the visitors brightly colored sticks to hold over their heads so that the terns will attack the sticks instead of their heads. But I can't say I blame the terns, known as kriya in Icelandic, for protecting their nests. It's a pretty inhospitable landscape on which to breed, and they travel a long, long way to get there, annually migrating over 40,000 kilometers from pole to pole. One might be forgiven for wondering why a bird would do this, exchanging one icy, rocky beach for another on the other side of the globe. But that question would miss the point, because if I can be permitted a cliché, the journey is the point. I had also journeyed to Iceland, although I took the considerably easier and shorter route via airplane from Philadelphia to Reykjavik. In 2019, blissfully unaware of the impending pandemic, less than six months on the horizon, I traveled to Isafjordr, a small town in the Westfjords region of remote northwest Iceland, to take part in a one-month arts residency. While there, I collected extensive field recordings and created a new composition that tried to synthesize my impressions of Iceland. The experience was probably best captured in the somewhat terrifying arrival by airplane into Isafjordr where the plane must make a hard 90-degree bank to enter the fjord, make a tight circle, and land in the opposite direction on the other side of the fjord, all while dealing with treacherous crosswinds. Descriptions can't really do it justice, which is also something you might say about Iceland in general. I'm Gabriel Gould, and this is Burning the Thrushes, a podcast about what we hear when we listen, really listen. Isafjordr is a fishing town of about 2,600. It's not on the so-called Golden Circle, but most days enormous cruise ships arrive there to disgorge armies of tourists who flow through the village and meet buses that transport them to beautiful sites in the area, such as the Dinyandi Wedding Cake Waterfall and the Hornstrand Nature Reserve, where, if lucky, they might catch a glimpse of an Icelandic fox. But aside from the tourists, it's a pretty out-of-the-way spot, more famous for disastrous avalanches than anything else. But the Westfjords is the kind of place where you might come upon a minke whale lazily feeding deep into one of the fjords, unexpectedly close to land. I was there to make music, hopefully something like the piece I made in Finland two years prior. But I had no preconceived notions about what I would ultimately create, because that would in large part depend on what kinds of field recordings I was able to collect there, what the sounds of the place might suggest to me, and what stories they might tell. After a day or two of travel recovery, I ventured out into the town, which is a human-made peninsula jutting out into the lagoon of a large fjord, confusingly not called Isafjord, 
In the West Fjords, there's almost no flat land to speak of, since it's pretty much all narrow U-shaped fjords with almost vertical hills on either side. The towns in the area are either squished into linear shapes at the base of the mountains, or built on reclaimed land. Isafjordr is a combination of both, but one constant there is water. Whether the lagoon or the ocean, it's always nearby. I discovered the Arctic Terns that first day, when nesting was in full swing, and quickly learned to keep my distance while recording. Fortunately, the terns are also loud, so distance wasn't a problem. In some areas, the locals post signs to warn hapless tourists what will happen if they get between the birds and their eggs. The terns are clearly an integral part of the place, its ecosystem, and its culture, and I learned to treat them like the Icelanders do, with great respect. One thing about Iceland, which is hard to ignore, is that it has a small population, not just of humans, but also in terms of its variety of animal life. There are essentially no native mammals, aside from the Icelandic fox, a variant of the Arctic fox that probably traveled there on floating debris. Although birds of many kinds make their homes, or at least their vacation homes there, so I knew I was going to need more than just biophonic sounds for my composition. I started collecting some of the geophonic sounds of the place, stones, water, and wind being the primary sources. And in such a quiet place, human-made sounds made a bigger than usual impact, as I found one day when a helicopter flew into the fjord right above my head, its deafening roar ricocheting off the mountains. the people. Icelanders are proud, independent, and in some cases defiantly idiosyncratic. So I wanted their voices as well. I came across some rich archives online of Icelandic history and culture, including some wonderful old scratchy recordings of folk songs and interviews. I loved the patina of age on these recordings and found them to be full of Icelandic character. Finally, I looked for words that I could add with my own voice. I wanted something that made reference to Icelandic history and culture and described some of what makes Iceland different from just about any other place. The archives helped me again because I discovered scans of old books containing accounts of travels in Iceland by non-Icelandic visitors, including adventurers, explorers, and naturalists. These were charmingly and occasionally infuriatingly quaint. Two days later, I was unwaited in a little isla to be immensely amused, and as a predicament of my companion, Mr. John Carter, now doing good ornithological work in Australia. They also demonstrated some obvious European ethnocentrism and disdain for the Icelanders, who the writers clearly saw as somewhat barbaric. 
Along the way, I picked up some memorable sounds, like a very expressive raven, footsteps in a tunnel carved through the town's avalanche defenses, and most surprising of all, a minky whale surfacing in shallow water in a nearby fjord. I had a lot of fun isolating the sound of the whale's spout, turning it into something more closely resembling human breathing. Since Iceland has continued to hunt whales long after most countries have given up the horrifying practice, I felt especially satisfied to be able to include the sound of a whale who was very much alive. I knew from the start that the piece would be called Kriya, because the Arctic terns were the most representative symbol of Isafjordr to me. More than the fishing boats, more than the ocean, more than the delicious croissants baked fresh at the local cafe, and more than the enormous indentation in the mountain that the locals called the Troll's Seat. So here's Kriya, unabridged, full of sounds heard only in Iceland, alongside my respectful additions that I hope help paint a picture of my month there that makes you want to visit as well. Provided you're careful around the turns.
found it very cold and our progress was slow, but we were well repaid for the discomforts of the journey by the strange beauty of the scene. It was a dead calm. There was the silence as of dark night, for although there was a broad daylight reposing under a leaden sky, all nature seemed asleep. Burning the Thrushes 
is written, edited, and produced by me, Gabriel Gould. If you're enjoying Burning the Thrushes, or have ideas for future episodes, contact me at burningthethrushes at gmail.com or visit the podcast website at burningthethrushes.podbean.com. All music and recordings are my own, except for the recording of The Raven, kindly given to me by fellow artist Enriqueta Vendrell, and public domain recordings and documents, courtesy of the National and University Library of Iceland, and ismus.is, the Icelandic Music and Cultural Heritage website. <laughs>